Today's episode is called, What Makes Us Uncomfortable? I want to talk about this because I've noticed recently that people very much have decided what they will and will not talk about. Not in all circles, but in some circles there are certain topics now that are off limits. Hey guys, it's Amber, wife, mother, warrior, type A child of God. Here at Little Things, we examine everyday issues from a biblical perspective with one simple goal, to know and love God more. Thanks for joining me. So as politics get crazy around us, or as scientific um, discoveries happen, and as more and more things come to light, Some people have just decided there are certain topics that are off limits. And I find that a little bit disarming. Um, I just tend to be one of those people who will talk about anything. Even if you don't have the same reaction or beliefs that I do, that doesn't stop me from listening to you. In fact, I find it very helpful to listen to people and where they're coming from and see what they're thinking about in terms of certain things. I always figure that I can learn and maybe I can uh, see something from a different angle or maybe I get a chance to enlighten somebody else about some of the things that I've learned. Um, So I've learned in the last several months to be very cautious about bringing topics up. I don't necessarily bring a topic up. In fact, there are several topics that I pretty much stay away from. But um, I've also just noticed that other people have a very quick and um, almost sharp response to some of these topics. So I thought about that, and as I was praying one day, and I had just listened to this talk, that was really interesting. I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But um, after I listened to this talk and I was praying, I just wrote down the phrase, we dismiss what makes us uncomfortable. And I think that is sort of something that we tend to do. So there was a sermon that I listened to, Alistair Begg had it, and he was just going through the, the book of, um, I don't know if it was First or Second Samuel. So he was just going along and preaching the next sermon on the next section. And I happened upon it. I hadn't um, heard the other sermons prior. I hadn't, you know, been part of this ongoing discussion of this book or anything, but I happened upon this one sermon in particular that was about Amnon and Tamar. Now, if you're not aware of who that is, they are both children um, that had David, King David, as their father. So they had different mothers, but they both had King David as their father. So Amnon was a young man, and he fell in love with his sister Tamar. Although, you know, actually we can't say that he fell in love. He fell in lust with his sister Tamar, who was very beautiful. And... He decided in order to get her, he told a friend, you know, that he had been just thinking about her day and night, and this friend came up with a plot to get her alone, and so um, Amnon did it. He pretended to be sick, and when his dad came to see him, he said, I want my sister Tamar to come to me, and he asked her to make him a meal, and then he raped her, and after he raped her, he actually decided he hated her. So that lust, once he had fulfilled that and raped her, turned into absolute hatred. 
Now, David found out about this, and he chose not to deal with it. And that caused some major, major problems because Absalom and Tamar were full brothers and sisters. And when Absalom heard about this, he was not okay with his dad not doing anything about it. And so he ended up killing Amnon down the line a little bit. But Alistair Begg asked, you know, why didn't David deal with it? What do you think that was all about? And one of the things he suggested is, you know, look, if David was going to deal with this, he'd have to come face to face with the fact that he also had sexual misconduct, right, with Bathsheba. And so maybe it was just easier for him to not deal with it than to actually say, hey, I did something wrong too, and it wasn't right, but, you know, this definitely, this needs to be dealt with, it needs to be addressed. So anyway, I this led me to just start thinking about how we deal with or don't deal with the things that make us uncomfortable. Because let's face it, if we don't deal with things, they're not going to go away, right? I remember very much when my children were little, you know, some nights my husband and I would just get to the point of sitting down at the end of the night, we'd be on the couch, and we thought all the kids were in bed, and they were all settled, and, you know, we were sort of high-fiving each other, and all of a sudden something would happen. You know, either the kids were screwing around, or some of them, someone yelled from their bed, or or whatever, and we'd look at each other like, no way, this can't be happening. And, you know, on our lazy nights, we'd just be like, hey, we're not going to deal with that We'll deal with it tomorrow. Um, Just go to bed. Because we didn't want to get up and deal with it. And one day it sort of clicked for both of us that this is our mess. No one else is going to deal with this. So if we don't deal with the issues that are being brought up at bedtime, it's not going to go away. And there's not some magic genie who's going to come out of the sky somewhere and say, hey, you guys just hang out on the couch. I know you're tired. So I got this one. And that made all the difference because then we would sort of look at each other and say, all right, well, this is our deal to, I guess, get through. So, you know, we'd get up and go in the bedrooms and figure it out. But If we think about it, issues don't just go away when we ignore them. In fact, for the most part, they get exponentially worse. You know, if I don't deal with my yard, I have a big yard, and if I choose not to deal with the weeds, if I choose not to deal with the things that are becoming overgrown and spreading and making a mess of things, that just means that there's going to be more to deal with next year. Or if I don't deal with overconsumption, with the amount of stuff that comes into my house, listen, I can stuff things into closets and I can fill up every nook and cranny, but eventually they are all full and the piles are going to spread beyond the closets, beyond the cupboards, beyond the little places that other people can't see. So at some point I just have to go through my stuff and or stop bringing more stuff in you know, out of control bills, weight, drinking, whatever it is, it's not going away just because we refuse refuse to acknowledge it or deal with it. Proverbs 26, 11 says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Doing the same thing over and over and over again is just going to lead us to the same dysfunction. So how are we going to deal with 
these things that make us uncomfortable, that cause this dysfunction in our life, because we know that dismissing it or ignoring it isn't going to solve it. So I came up with four things, and you could probably add more if you wanted to, but these are just four starter points that I think might help us at least start to go in the right direction. So number one, we're going to have to take note of or notice the uncomfortable stuff, the dysfunctional stuff in our life. And the truth is most of us don't even see our own dysfunction because it's so normal to us that we don't even see it anymore. So if you don't see your own dysfunction, if you don't even notice that something is crazy, here's a couple of tips to make you aware of your dysfunction. First thing you could do, bring little kids into your home. So for the last couple of weeks, there's a family that I know that I have been picking up their little kids and bringing them to church and Sunday school and then over to our house for a little bit on Sunday afternoon. And it is amazing what little kids pick up on. That just seems normal to you. They'll say, well, why, why is this here? Or why do you do this? Or why would you say that? Or why would he do that? Or <laughs> I told my daughter, my 21-year-old daughter, we were having lunch with these kids and they brought up that we have a door that is off the hinges because, well, it's a long story. Anyway, we need to fix it. And so the door was off the hinges and they said, why would, why would that door be there? And I'm not joking. It's been there for months and I don't even notice it anymore. And I looked at my daughter and I said, see, this is good. We need to have people over here so that we see our own dysfunction. You can take note of people when you say something and you're around other Christians. If you say something that's sort of off, that's, you know, just excusing your dysfunction, you'll you'll notice their reaction or how they respond to that, like, wait a second, are you saying that's normal? We sort of try to avoid that or whatever. So the first step is just noticing and becoming aware of the things that maybe are tripping us up. Marshall Goldsmith said, after living with their dysfunctional behavior for so many years, people become investing in defending their dysfunctions rather than changing them. Okay, so first step, take note of, notice the things that you want to change. Number two, take one small step. I just think huge change seems impossible. So if I think that I'm going to make some sort of crazy huge change in my life, you know, if I'm going to lose 20 pounds or totally remodel the whole upstairs of my house or whatever. That seems overwhelming. But if I set out to exercise every day and make better food choices, then it becomes about little decisions. If I'm in the grocery store and I'm looking at the ice cream and I know that I will eat the ice cream if I buy the ice cream, Therefore, I choose not to buy the ice cream. That's a victory. If I realize that when I shop hungry, I bring way more stuff home that I don't want to eat, then I learn to not shop at the same time of day that I'm in the mood to snack. Or maybe I only bring so much money to the store. 
Make a list of seemingly tiny things you can do to move in the right direction, whatever it is that you want to change. So if it's getting out of debt and you can find some ways that you can save money, you can cancel some subscriptions or quit going out to eat or, or whatever it is, then you make a list of those things. And then you're aware of those tiny, small steps and one after another, they add up. Sometimes the smallest step in the right direction ends up being the biggest step in your life. Tiptoe if you must, but take that step. That's a meme. I love that meme because to me, small steps are manageable. I get overwhelmed if I think I have to do something huge, but if I do something that is seemingly small, then I think I can do it. Number three, accountability. Listen, when you've decided there's something about your life that you want to change, tell a couple of your good friends. I get together with a couple of different women um, different times throughout my week. Some I get together and walk with, or maybe I have coffee with one, and um, another I meet for Zoom because we have projects that we have going on. And it's just great to have someone that you tell when you're trying to make a change because It seems real when you actually put it into words. Like, hey, by the way, this is what's on my mind. I'm going to really start trying to do this. Um, Just wanted you to know, whatever. And the great thing about that is as we tell each other about these things that we're trying to change, then we can text and we can pray for each other. We can check in and we can just hold each other accountable. So James said, confess your sins to each other that you may be healed. And I have found that is very much the way it goes. Listen, bring it out of the darkness into the light. Tell somebody a trusted friend. And that trusted friend will walk with you through whatever it is that you want to change. And then number four is really a cool thing that honestly I have not put enough time into. It is learn to repent. So I told you that I I listened to this amazing talk and I was going to get into it later on. And Tim Keller had this talk about prayer. It was called The Primacy of Prayer. It was the New York City gathering in 2018. He said many really neat things that were worth um, the listen. But one of the things he said in this talk is that he had set aside two hours a week for repentance. Okay, for repentance. Now, I have never put repentance on my to-do list. I haven't. I'm just being totally honest with you. I pray and I ask for forgiveness for the sins that I've done. I maybe acknowledge these things, but I have never set aside a time that I wanted to just spend thinking about repentance. But if I'm honest, it's a really great idea. And let me tell you why. As he explained this, and two hours is no small amount of time in my in my book anyway. I mean, I, I just thought this was incredible. But this is what he said. Look, when you start repenting, you start noticing what you want to change a lot more. So you you start seeing throughout your week. So you've you've talked to God about this and you've noticed it or journaled about it for two hours. And so now now when you actually do it, you're gonna notice it, right? Throughout your week. And then Another thing is you start changing what you are doing so you don't have to repent about it the next week. 
So you don't have to confess and keep striving towards repentance. So now what is repentance? The word repent actually means to turn. So it's the act of actually trying to change the things you're doing wrong. Confessing is just saying, yeah, I did it. You know, yeah, I, I admit. But repentance is the act of actually taking it further. I want to do something about it. I acknowledge that this is a problem for me. But here in this two hours of repentance, I am making tangible steps. I am going to make a plan. I'm going to pray about this. I am going to see how I'm doing. But I do not want to come back to this situation next week feeling as if I am exactly where I was last week. Maybe the greatest motivator for repentance comes from 2 Chronicles 7.14. God says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. I don't know about you, but I feel as if our land could use some healing right now. Going back to the way I started this and how divisive we are, even among Christian friends, how there's just taboo subjects. There are things off limits we're not going to talk about. When we hear them, we just change the subject. Nope, I don't want to hear about it. I don't know. I know about it. We're just so divisive and we're so set in our ways and unwilling to talk, and unwilling to learn, and unwilling to love each other well. And I think, man, if we each in our own life could just examine, take small steps, could find accountability, could repent, then maybe we could help the people around us to do the same. Maybe in a super loving manner, we could say, you know, I'm really frustrated about this subject too. And I get it. I'm, I'm probably not going to be the answer, but this is what I found. I found that I need to pray about it and I need to stay on top of it and educated about it because I don't want to just have this be another dividing point. I want to be on top of this so that I can best help the people around me and best communicate and so that I can be in prayer with the Lord often about this because you know what? I want healing in our land. Let me know your thoughts, please. I'd love to get some messages from you guys What do you think about what's going on and and what have you found that's helpful? In the meantime, I'm going to learn to not dismiss the things that make me uncomfortable. Instead, I'm going to try to face them and go to God and ask him to help me. This has been Little Things because in God's kingdom, the little things are the big things. Have you checked out C.L. Whiteside's podcast, The Non-Microwave Truth, yet? It offers a fresh, vibrant Christian perspective to today's issues. 
CL is an educator and coach. He takes lessons from the Bible and applies them to everyday situations. I love to listen to him, and I bet you will too. You can find his podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. Check it out, The Non-Microwave Truth. You may think you are just one person, but trust me when I say each person's prayers are heard and each person's support matters. We appreciate each and every one of you. If you haven't yet, please take the time to rate and review Little Things today and share it with others. Thank you and God bless.